Welcome to the Grow Your Business and Grow Your Wealth podcast with Gary Helt. Gary is an expert in helping business owners put together a plan that will provide a better future for their businesses, themselves, and their families. On the podcast, Gary interviews other professionals who share his vision, and together they share secrets and strategies any business owner can use to build a better financial foundation for your business and your life. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, our uh, guest is Ronald Schwartz with RAS Financial Services. How are you doing today, Ron? Doing well. Thanks, Gary. Thanks for, thanks for joining us. What, um, you know, you were a math professor before, and now you're a financial advisor. What made you decide to pursue a career in financial advising? Um, came late in life. I was a math kid growing up kind of analytic little head trip. Um, so I went through schooling. Um, my undergraduate work is theoretical mathematics. Um, my master's graduate level work is applied mathematics, a field popular at the time called operations research, which is applied math uh, to solve business problems. My first job was teaching mathematics in the city in DC, coming out of grad school. Following that, I went into a long career in database design, where I was designing large information systems for the federal government, working for a nonprofit tech firm. And after many years there, I said, you know, that was good, but but what I wasn't getting was enough impact. I'm a change agent. And I wasn't able to change the way federal bureaucracies manage information, certainly before the internet era, where budgets went to hardware and communications. Data was sort of irrelevant because it didn't have money or budget behind it. But I worked for um, most of the FAA and other civil agencies uh, building large systems. And after many years, I said, look, I'm going with my passion. So 14 years ago, I quit my job, went from a good salary and benefits to zero, and said, yeah, I wonder if uh, my friends would trust me to help them manage their life savings. And enough of my friends in D.C. and at my tech firm said, yeah, never saw Ron do it, but uh, he's trustworthy. He's a good guy, and uh, we'll give it a go. And that was right before the 08 crash, where I was just starting to assemble a small practice. So my big brag, if I may, was I'm a, I'm a math kid, I'm a pattern analyst, and I do technical analysis in the market in addition to fundamentals, which is looking at money flows, where the money is going in various metrics like MACD and moving average crossovers. So in June of 08, I didn't like the pattern that the market was using to trade. And I took all of my clients out of the market for a phone call. I said, look, Bob, I don't like the way it's looking. Let's sell everything you have, kind of radical. And I got away with it. We were in cash going through the crash of 08 and then started to deploy money uh, just before March of 09. So, yeah, that was a pretty good start. That's that, yeah. That I was going to say that's that's pretty awesome. It, it, say, it's a great way to start things out. Well, it was just a probability call, as most things in life are. I didn't know what was going to happen. All I thought was better to be out than in the way I saw the market trading. Turned out to be right. Didn't have to be what I, I called a good one. What I did was sell, sell all of my assets on day one. Next day, I woke up and I said to myself. Ron, you mean uh, you're not doing that for the clients? I had to. Best for myself meant what's best for them. And that was my start. It was pretty good. My colleagues were losing 
you know, assets were losing 35, 40% and we were in cash and then we made a good entry with that cash coming out the other side. So uh, again, I call that smart and lucky, you need both. Well, that's, that's a, that is a, a great start, you know, into the, uh, into the field by doing that. What, you know, cause again, you, you had a great start. So what is it that you know now that you wish you knew then that would have changed things for you? Well, I wouldn't have changed that decision. You know, uh, I wouldn't either. And, and, you know, I'll stop the bragging right now. I have many mistakes of omission and commission, as we all do. I'd like, I'd like some do-overs and I'd like to, uh, you know, enter positions I had a coin flip on and did, didn't get into. So I'm, I'm not that good, but I, I made some good calls. And uh, certainly I had a lot of experience before I did this professionally. Another way to say that is I don't approach my, my friends at my former employer and ask them to trust me with their life savings if I'm practicing on them. So I had the confidence and the skills I thought I needed in the market after 40 years of doing it as an amateur, but, but I thought I had those skills. So it turned out I do, and um, the, the market you know, makes you humble. You, you don't want to think you know what you're doing because just take, take a look at what's happened in the last four months. Nobody predicts the fastest drop ever from end of Fed to end of March, and then the fastest rise ever immediately with one day's notice, totally unprecedented. So nobody sees that coming. Right. So, so basically I'm a risk manager. And when I buy, I try to buy opportunistically, which is to say good stuff that's been pushed down too low. Uh, and then I use technicals as well. The, the patterns and technical trading shows you where the big money is going in. There, there are reveals in looking at those patterns that on a probability basis, put the odds a little bit on your side. And that's all we're trying to do. Move the odds a little bit in favor of a good decision without ever knowing what is going to happen around the corner. So that, that's how I work. Okay. So, so what are some of the questions that you wish uh, your clients or potential clients uh, you know, would be asking you that they don't? Well, that's a great question. Um, I put myself in my client's seat and I realize they have no idea what questions to ask, really, in general. Right. One, they can't distinguish one advisor from another. They think we all work pretty much the same, whereas I'm not a buy and hold guy. You have to ask me that. I'm going to sell what I think we have full value and I'm going to enter most of the time when it's a contrary position. The world is against it but I say that's great value. So they, they don't distinguish how, how professionals work. I wish they'd dig down a bit deeper and they really have a hard time as we all do at assessing risk. So my example on risk is, you know, Citicorp was a blue chip before 08, then it became trash for about three or four years and now it's climbing back. So what's very interesting, and I discussed this with clients, when I try to assess their risk profile and what we should be buying, their risk profile is dynamic. It changes with age, birth, death, job, mood, all of that. It changes with the market mood. On the, and on the second hand, the assets we may buy have a dynamic risk profile, Citicorp case in point. 
nothing is static. It's all dynamic in terms of risk, in terms of competition, opportunity, value, overpricing. So I find the game pretty interesting uh, to match those two with the client should be owning and what the market's offering. So what are some of the fears that your that your clients have had and how have you helped them alleviate some of those fears or, or deal with them a little bit better? Yeah, uh, everybody's worried about uh, the market doing something terrible to them. I have to say, uh, this is a personal uh, view of mine. I cannot operate unless I have the full trust of my client, which is to say, they have to believe I'm absolutely working in their best interest. I may not make all the right decisions, and I don't. But actually, that trust, let, and I tell them, don't you worry. Let me worry about your stuff. That trust lets them, I think, relax and know that I'm doing the best I can for them. And that's coupled with the fact that they also assume, I think rightly, that I can do it better than they can, because that's all I do. I'm trained to do it. They're not. So with that, their main worry is an exogenous, unpredictable, flighty market, which goes any which way, totally out of control, as in 0802, as in 0809. That, that's the main concern. Right. So the, if I'm hearing you correctly, you know, you're saying that, you know, really, um, you know, kind of, you're not not you don't do things to the the cookie cutter approach that um, with your clients each one of them is going to have you know a different retirement strategy and things like that that you're going to try to you know to work with them on more or less I'll say yes everybody is customized but no in this sense it's the it's the Warren Buffett approach Warren said. I, I buy concentrated assets. If I had new money, why would I buy my 20th favorite stock? So he, he said he's against the worsification. Where that fits in with the way I practice is, if I like a handful of stocks, everybody may own it, but just in different proportions based on their risk tolerance. Okay. And then within that, I certainly customize for using alternative assets, annuities, structured products with downside protection. I do covered call selling to uh, lower cost and gain income. So given client preferences on those things, we will or won't own some of those assets. Okay. So, you know, I guess, can you talk a little bit about um, why it's important to use a professional like you to help them um, with their investments as compared to them trying to do this themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I have a strong bias about that. I think everyone should have a professional advisor who's competent. A competent advisor should in the long run bring you to a better place than you could on your own. There's a guy named Nick Murray who's a professional uh, advisor. He's an advisor to advisors. He has one message to advisors like myself. Your job is to help your clients avoid doing stupid stuff. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the average person is a contrary indicator. They're gonna buy when it's high, they're gonna sell when there's, there's too much pain, they've lost too much money. The average investor has their own emotional, built-in emotional structure as a human being working against them. So most folks are gonna do the wrong thing. Uh, it's been proven out. 
during the run from 1982 to that you have, um, what's the, the most common mistake that, that they make? Not listening to me. Sorry to be a little arrogant. <laughs> uh, there, there are some people who, when a stock is going up, thinks it will continue to go up forever. So right. I try to convince some people to take profits on huge gains, and I have a few people who resist that. Uh, one is resisting to this day. So that, that's probably it. Again, not that I'm right all the time. I'm, I'm usually right more than they are. So I'd rather go with my, my decision than theirs. But that's, that's the most frustrating part when, when the client thinks they know better. And I'm pretty sure they don't. Right, right. I, I agree with that. I, I tend to have that sometimes. You've been there? Yeah. When it, when it, when it comes to, to tax strategies and things like that, um, you know, because what I try to do is I try to help someone and I always tell them, look, I'm your quarterback. You can have many people, different, different people on your team and things like that, but let me help you quarterback, you know, your, your tax future. Um, and, and like you, you're helping them try to try to um, write their financial future. I'm trying to help them write their tax future um, instead of just kind of being the person who's, who's recording everything. Um, so what you know you work with a, a, a wide variety of people that are uh, in different situations different professions and so forth what are some of the important things that you've learned that kind of go across all of them um well there's there's a most of my clients are professional and in fairly good shape financially and emotionally and those are related, of course. So uh, generally, all of them just want me to protect their assets, and we could grow it a bit. Okay. That, that's a common theme. And again, I, I am so fortunate that again, most of my clients are friends for 30 years. I've gotten referrals as newer clients. I've met people at parties. But the, the, the whole thing works starting with trust. Right. So if we can establish a basis of trust, then everything works pretty smoothly from there. And 
In 90, 90% of the cases, the client will defer to me, except those few who don't. So that, that's pretty much the common theme. I've been really fortunate. I, I've got great clients. Uh, again, I had a good start, so I don't have anything right. to apologize for. I don't show them the, the few I missed. <laughs> right. <gonna> have. <laughs> but, uh, I do tell them, there's, we don't have perfection here. We're doing our best. So that's the best I can do. It all works for trust. Right. So what is what is your ideal client look like? Uh, that, that's interesting. Uh, I, I can give a little bit of a, a humorous side to this. Here's my ideal client: an older, intelligent, professional, single female. <laughs> I've got quite a few of them. Why is that? Well, they're smart enough to know they don't know everything. Guys want to drive the truck, right? I don't know. It's tough getting single men as clients. They're in charge, they know what they're doing. But a woman is going to say, you know, I don't know everything. I'm going to let this guy help me. So I, that's my favorite demographic. Right. Some, somebody with smarts who's, who's worked in the world, knows she needs some help. Trust me to help her. Love that. But, of course, there are other people there, too. I have right. couples, and I have single men as clients as well. So of these ideal clients, what, what tends to be their pain points? Yeah, um, it varies in terms of the, the typical question, which is how much can you afford to lose if the market really hurts us? So the pain points are the point at which their assets drop enough that they're worried. And that varies by person, of course, and that's, that's dynamic as well. That number changes. And so my job really as a risk manager is really to try to avoid always taking a huge hit in any one place or any one time in the market. And for that, we own assets that are hedged against loss. Uh, one of them is the VIX, uh, which is unusual if you haven't heard of that. It's a volatility index. It goes opposite the market. And, uh, and more than, it goes opposite in the other direction more than the first direction. So if the S&P is up 1%, the volatility index could drop two and a half, three percent, and vice versa. On a bad down day, this thing rockets higher. And we have some of that as a hedge. So I try to buy some of that when I think the market's at a near peak uh, and, and maybe it's poised for a drop. So we're going to cover our paper losses with gains in this hedged asset. So what are, what are some of the, the big challenges that, that you're facing right now? Um, I wouldn't say anything stands out. So not anything with the COVID-19 and not being able to sit with people face to face, um, you know, the, the election going on and everybody, you know, so uneasy yeah. about things. Yeah. Um, it's interesting having studied the market long and well, you see what factors bear on the market. People, most people think there's a cause and effect. Uh, this happened in the world, therefore the market will react this way. If anything, this crisis should disabuse people of that. Uh, people losing jobs, uh, the virus spiraling out of control in the market, up. it's totally counterintuitive. I think people don't, what I regret is people aren't coming to me enough with their issues, which is uh, medical costs, how do we deal with that? What's our social security strategy? Uh, I'm there to help them with that. And I think people don't, maybe maybe don't even realize that I can do assistance with that. 
So I think they're using me um, less than they should be. But with COVID, uh, I used to have person-to-person -person meetings, although since I have clients in 15 states, many of my clients aren't near Washington and we use the phone and video and all of that. So not a huge impact from the virus. And I've assured people that I'm on top of their stuff and trying to manage you know, within the world we are. And they, again, they trust me. And so far I haven't made any huge blunders on that. Right. I've invested in the sectors that I think are going to be strong given the crisis world. So it sounds like it sounds like if you had to to give someone advice that um, is getting into the market or has some money to get into the market is the professional that you're going to use needs to take some time to to get to know you and ask a lot of questions obviously so yeah. they do get to know you. Um, yeah. It sounds it sounds like you do that. Yeah, I do. The more I know about the other person, uh, the better I can react to what they want and decide what may work for them, both emotionally and financially. Some right. people want gains and and the volatility doesn't matter. The stock can bounce all around the place as long as it's going up. Other people can't take the roller coaster ride. So I, I try to appreciate that and buy assets that will conform to that comfort level. Right. Um, so during your Besides your great start into into uh, this yeah. field, yeah. what do you feel has been your 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 biggest success um, since you've gotten into the financial advising uh, arena? There's been no dramatic result outside of that early start. Um, my success has been doing taking the time. I do my own research. I kind okay. of buy mostly individual stocks, not ETFs or funds. And so my success and the pleasure comes from the treasure hunt of uh, trying to figure out where things are moving. So I'm sector oriented. Okay. Uh, I do a top-down analysis. Is it healthy to step into the market? Okay, it is. What are the sectors that may work within that? What are the stocks within the sector that seem most promising based on um, business model and price, right? Price cuts risk. That's one of my slogans. You okay. pay too much, you know, may not work out. If you don't pay too much, you're starting out ahead of the curve. So uh, nothing dramatic since the beginning. It's really been slow and steady uh, and just enjoying both the analytic side and the people side. Too. Right. Yeah. So um, I guess the question is, you know, what, what haven't I asked you? that you would like to share with, with our listeners? Um, if you're doing it yourself, start early, do the work. You can do the same research I'm doing. You can get smart about how the business world works, uh, how the outside world affects the markets, whether that's interest rate moves, oil prices, uh, US-China politics, Everybody can do it themselves. The only trouble is most people are too busy to really do the, do it themselves. When I used to be at my tech job, I'd spend two hours a day at work. I'll tell my former employer, uh, studying the market. Then I went home and did the work I might not have gotten done during the day. I was a good worker, okay? Uh, I did my work. But now I have all day to research what I want to do. And so you can do it as a young person, just get started. I happen to be biased. 
for individual stocks instead of the indices. Of course, the indices have outperformed active management the last few years. But I think um, if, you, if you're willing to take some single stock risk, as it's called, and build a portfolio of 10 to 12 stocks, I believe you're spreading the risk enough as if you owned a, a mutual fund. You can look at it statistically. 10 to 12 stocks gives you a lot of dispersion. So do it yourself if you can. If you can't, find some help. I think you'll be better off in every case. Great, great, yeah. great, great advice. Um, what would be the first steps uh, you would want a client to take uh, if they wanted to uh, reach out to you um, to talk to you? I'm, I'm in the uh, position of not having to take clients if I don't want to. So uh, the first the first quote meeting would be a, a phone conversation typically, probably following some email traffic. So people can find me on LinkedIn or on the internet and get a hold of my phone number or email. We'll, we'll do a little back and forth that way. Then we'll have a okay. phone call. And there has to be, like any intimate relationship, there has to be chemistry. So if I feel that I, I can't have a good relationship with the person, or perhaps the person is too shy to ask the hard questions, such like, uh, Ron, what were you thinking when you did that? All right. right. I expect clients to speak up and speak their mind, and then we can have an honest conversation. So I take clients who I think I can deal with on a, an emotional, chemical level. And uh, uh, otherwise, I choose not to. And of course, they have a choice not to use me. So if we have personal chemistry and there's trust, it's all good. That's great. Yeah. It really is. So today on our podcast, we've had Ron Schwartz with RAS financial services. Ron, I'd really like to uh, thank you for your time and, and your insight. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.